It's an honor to be able to, to be before you as we open up God's Word and we continue on uh, 1 Samuel, which we've been for a few months. And uh, so we are back in, um, in 1 Samuel. And uh, last week, we, we found David uh, was still winning at life, wasn't he? And uh, Saul is getting more and more envious of David's victories. Uh, the song, Saul has slain a thousand, is the number one song being played in Israel at the time. You know the song, Saul has slain a thousand and David has slain ten thousand. Uh, doesn't help Saul's uh, anger issues, right? He's in a dangerous position, Saul, and he's got this war just brewing within him. Although he's king, David is getting all the attention after all the battles, all the battle victories are tied to David for, for what David is doing. In fact, uh, one of the verses says, uh, in verse 30, previous one says, The Philistine commanders continued to go out in battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. So Saul's in this interesting position where really doesn't like David, but if he kills him, now he's got all these people that are upset at him because... Everyone likes David. But the longer he keeps him around, the more he feels like he's, he's losing control and that David might, might just take over and be king at some point. Uh, Pastor Jesse last week mentioned how he, he gave uh, Michael as a, a, a trophy wife, basically. That's what he was. She was, right? She, he won the war and he got this trophy of his wife and he gave, her, he gave her his daughter uh, with the idea that she was going to trap him or get him in trouble. She was going to be a snare is the word that was used last week. Uh, but even then, she shows more loyalty to David than she does to her father. At this point, Saul has two kids that prefer David over him, right? We got Jonathan and now we have Michael that, that prefer David and, and at least love David far more than, than Saul does. And David, all along, is just doing what he is told, what he has to do. He's just doing his job. Go to war. Okay, I'll go to war. Play the liar. Okay, I'll play the liar. I mean, whatever it is, you just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And so he's going from battlefield to, to the king's private musician. And the one thing that remains consistent throughout his life is that David's commitment to God is unwavering in the circumstances of life. David's commitment to God is unwavering to the circumstances of his life, right? And as we open today, we're going to see four vignettes, four little stories of how God is sovereignly watching out for David. Now, I'm not going to point them out, all out, but uh, I trust that you'll just uh, keep track of them and maybe put them on the side and say, oh, look, that was one, that was two. But I will swing back to these four stories and point them out to you. And um, I, I want us to, to, to be reminded of, of how God has, has protected David and how he is faithful throughout his life and how his commitment to God is unwavering, such as our commitment to God should be unwavering to the circumstances or the conveniences of life. Let's read uh, 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 24. And it says, As Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all the servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan's son delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, 
Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand my, uh, beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his own hand, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he said, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the, Philist uh, fought with the Philistines and struck them down with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit of the Lord came upon Saul as he sat on his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might, ki that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair as, as its head and covered it with the, with the cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image of the, uh, was in the bed, and the pillow of the goat's hair was at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why do you deceive me thus, and let my enemies go, so that he has escaped? And Michal answered, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done, and, and Samuel went and lived in Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent messengers, other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is Seku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all the day and all night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this privilege of opening up your word and letting you speak to our lives. I ask you, Father God, that it would be you communicating to us, you speaking to us, you bringing the truth out from your word. Teach us something new this morning in this time, Lord. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, our commitment to God should not be contingent upon our life, circumstances, or convenience. The first thing I want to see here is, uh, is that we are called to the uncomfortable task of reconciliation. We are called to this uncomfortable task of reconciliation. And we see here that the, the passage opens up, and we have Jonathan and David, and realizing that, you know, things aren't very... Uh, Things aren't very nice between uh, Saul specifically and David. I mean, Saul wants to just kill David. But Jonathan does not want this to happen. He doesn't want his dad to kill his best friend. So he has, this, he has the awkward conversation with his dad. Like, Dad, come on, man. I mean, why are you going to kill my friend? I mean, Jonathan last week has, has sworn his allegiance to David. He, he, he took off his robe and, 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 and just said, you know, we're, we're together. We're, this is, I'm going to watch your back. You see, David at this moment could have easily have said, you, you know, I've done my best to try to help Saul out. Uh, Saul is never going to respect me. Saul will never stop trying to kill me. I have no problem with Saul. He's the one that's got the problem with me. And as God is my witness, I'd love to be reconciled with him, but it's just, just out of my hand. So, you know, most normal people would have just said, I've tried my best. He wants to kill me. Let's just, you know, let's just call it even here, and I'm just going to take off and go off my own ways. But Saul and David are, are willing to work through this and trying to figure this out, and they go and they, and, and Jonathan has, they set up this plan that, okay, we'll, we'll be in the field, and, and I'll, I'll talk to my dad, and if everything's cool, I'll let you know. If not, we'll just pretend you're not there and we'll, we'll, we'll work this out some other way. You see, David was, was willing to, to forgive Saul. And how do we know that? Because he went along with the plan. He was, he was okay with that. He wants, this, he wants this reconciliation to happen. He wants to move forward in this relationship, this professional relationship, and now relationship with his father-in-law, Right? He's, he's, uh, Saul is the king, and he's a, he's a c- commander, he's an officer there in the, in the army, and he, he wants this to, to work out. And so Jonathan becomes this mediator. And in this moment of clarity that Saul has, doesn't last long, but Saul has this moment of clarity, and decides and promises and, 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 and even swears that he will not kill David. Um, it, it, it's interesting that he says, he, he swears and says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. In verse 6, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Now, some, some would argue and say Saul is just saying that to try to get closer to David and be able to kill him. Some, are saying, some would say that he's, he wasn't very sincere in what he is saying, um, maybe just had a, a moment of, of clarity. Uh, I, I love what Matthew Henry, the pastor and theologian, uh, generously states. He says, But as bad as Saul was, we can scarcely think ill of him, and therefore we suppose that he spoke 
as he thought for the present, but the conviction soon wore off, and his corruptions prevailed and triumphed over them. So yeah, he, he, he probably was sincere, but just this inner war that he has within himself and letting someone come up, and, 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 and he just goes back on this. And so at this glimpse of, of a moment, we, we see that, okay, this relationship works out, works out. And Jonathan has, has done the work, and, and I was reminded as, we, as I read through this, as in 2 Corinthians, talks about our job, the job that we have, the ministry that we have. It says, therefore, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, who is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made, him to, who, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The obvious, it's, yes, it's talking specifically about the, the ministry that we have to, to help reconcile people to God, take people to God through Jesus Christ, that their sins are forgiven and they are reconciled into that relationship. We understand that that's what we're, this is talking about. But how much more is it in our human relationships too? Like if, if we are just angry, bitter people, angry at the world, angry at everybody around us, with what face do we talk to somebody about being reconciled to God? Like, you can't even talk to your brother. You can't, you can't talk to your family members. You can't talk to other Christians. What, what do you mean reconciled to God? This is, this is one of our job descriptions as Christians is reconciling relationships. First and foremost, our relationship to God for those that don't know God and be reconciled to Him. And if not, those relationships that we have here on a, on a human level. It's so easy to just live at odds with people, like just, you know, just never have to see them again, don't have to deal with them. It's actually easier that way because, you know, they were a little difficult, a little uh, not, not fun to be with, and it's so much easier to not deal with them. But that is not what we are called. We're not called to easy things. And, and when we think of the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Uh, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Right? So we're saying, God, in, in the same measure that I forgive others, that's how I want you to forgive me, God. But if we're saying I don't forgive others, we're saying, God, I don't really don't want you to forgive me because I really don't forgive others. So, or we'll just have to skip that part of the, uh, of the prayer, right? Lord, forgive me because you know I messed up. No, no, no. The same way that I forgive others, that's the measure that I want you to forgive me. I mean, it's, it's a big deal in the Bible uh, of, of being reconciled. It's rarely convenient to do the hard work to restore a relationship, but it's what God has called us to. And that's what we, we see in this first situation, how, how, uh, uh, how we see Jonathan working through this and, and helping here. And then what does it say? Then there's a war. There's a war and, and things change. So we're called to the uncomfortable task of reconciliation 
And second, our calling to do God's will should supersede what we think is best. Our calling to do God's will should supersede what we think is best. So obviously this reconciled relationship with Saul didn't work out as, uh, as, as, as uh, didn't last as long as we would have probably have liked, and I'm sure David would have preferred it last a little bit longer. But, but he goes off to, to war, and uh, it says, And there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, as he sat in his house with a spear, and, and David played the lyre. I mean, this is like, it's like just so, a matter of fact, this, this, this passage, like there's a war, David comes back, he's playing, Saul chucks a spear at him, it's like, wait, there, there's a lot going on here. Like, you would think David would have PTSD, right? Like, you know, last time this happened, this is the exact same scenario as what happened last week. He throws, or two weeks ago, he also tries to throw a, a spear at David when he's uh, playing the music for him. Like, this is not something that, oh, just came out of left field. Oh, this is, this is, what, this is what happens. This is common workplace uh, occurrence for David to get spears thrown at him. If it's not at war, it's, you know, play, uh, playing music for the king. Maybe that was his way of changing the song or something. But, um, but you would think David was like, you know, here it comes again. What, what, what's going on here? So it's not his first attempt at David. Um, this is his boss, right? So you think you have a crazy boss? <laughs> look, look where David is at. And, and if, 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 if David continues to, and he does, continues to be faithful in what God has called him to do, how, how much more are we called to, to be faithful back to the reconciliation, back in, our, in, in those situations, in those difficult situations. I mean, is this a normal thing for an officer of the army to go and kill, you know, and, and be like the, the most decorated uh, soldier and then just come back and just be a musician uh, for the king? Like, it, there, there's almost a sense of, is Saul trying to keep him away from constant training? And, and, and is Saul trying to keep him away from other soldiers? Um, there's a movie about a soldier, and one of the things, if, if, uh, if you ever read up what they, what they did in, um, when they were doing uh, Saving Private Ryan, um, all the soldiers kind of had to go through, they're actors, so it's, you know, it's kind of boot camp. Uh, they had to go to like boot camp and this training for like, I don't know, it was like a month or something like that. All of them except the guy that played Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Private Ryan, he, uh, what was it, Matt Damon, I think it was? He got to like stay in a hotel and get all pampered and stuff and just, you know, just have the beautiful time of his life while all the other actors were like doing the hard work. And uh, the, the reason they did that is because they wanted when they see Private Ryan to just have this like hate for him. Like we lost all our lives. We did all our work in the movie, of course. Uh, we did all this work and just have this resentment towards this other actor that, you know, had it, had it easy. And, and it's kind of similar situation. I mean, David, you know, goes out to war, and then he just kind of has this, like, job. I mean, he does have to evade some spears every once in a while, but he gets to play music in the air conditioning and get fed and all that. And you would think that, you know, Saul might have a little bit of that in him. Is like, okay, let's, let's just make things worse for him. I, I don't want him to be the strongest soldier. I want him to get killed. And so, so this is where he's at. Yet David continues to choose to obey God. To obey God as God leads him in, in what he needs to do. 
You see, as sure as David knew that God had called him to be an officer, God had called him to lead people, um, he was also comfortable with playing the liar for the king. And this, was, this is a, an example of David's humility. Like, it, it wasn't like, oh, this is beneath me. No, I'll get you a guy. In fact, I'll get you a slave from the other country that we're going to invade. I'll get you a Philistine. Those guys play, play a mean liar. I'll, I'll get them to play for you. No, he's like, this, this is what God has called me to do. I will do this. And he plays this, this liar because nothing was beneath him. And as big as, as a soldier that David was, he was also compassionate. If we look at Psalm 35, 13, and 14, um, he says in, 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 uh, in this, this uh, psalm that he wrote, he says, But when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bow on my chest. I went, though, as I grieved for my friend or my brother, as one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. And he's talking about like uh, how he, he, he laments and, and is sorry for those that are sick. And it's understood that, you know, it, it's possible that he's talking about Saul, understanding that Saul wasn't right. That guy was not right. And he understood that, you know what, this, this is my job. Like, poor guy, pobrecito. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the liar, and if it, if it helps him, then, then I'm going to play the liar for, 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 for David, for Saul. How many times do we feel like, oh, that job is beneath me? I, I, I cannot do that. That's, that. that's not what my job is. That's not my role in, in doing what God has called me to do. And how do we know what God calls you to do? Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where, where, where are you working? Where, where you're at is where God has called you to do. Because is he not in control? Is he not in charge? Is he not sovereign over all things? And wherever God has you, your job is to, to serve. To serve your boss. To serve uh, your teachers. To serve whoever it is, even, even the, the least fortunate around you, God has called you to serve. Now, there are moments, and we understand there's, there's moments where, where we might be in, in situations that, um, that we find ourselves that are as a result of either a bad decision that we've made or a bad decision that someone else made, but that does not, that does not trump that we need to continue to serve God in those situations. So um, someone that was in a bad situation that they did not choose for themselves, a uh, quick, easy story would be Joseph, right? Joseph was just minding his business. Sure, he was showing off his multicolored jacket that his uh, dad gave him, but his brothers then turn around and, and decide to sell him, right? Sell him into slavery. And, and he just continues to, to be faithful. And I'm not going to go into the story because it's a long story, but we see that Joseph continued to be faithful to what, where he was at and doing what God had called him to do, uh, even against lies and, and, and just continue to get, you know, step, he would go like five steps forward and like 10 back. And then God, but those, he, he was not there because of his choice. He was there because of others' choices. Someone that uh, learned to be faithful besides uh, apart from his dumb choices, would be Jonah, right? Jonah did not want to go where God was sending him, uh, continued to do whatever he could to, to not go. And even where he finally, when he finally gets to where he's got to go, he finally says, okay, here's your message. God's going to destroy Nineveh. If you don't repent, all right, I did my job, God. And God just like, whole, whole Nineveh like comes, you know, comes to God and stuff. And it's like this beautiful story. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. We need to be faithful to what God is calling us to. 
Your job may be the worst in the world, your school, your marriage, but you know what? God could change your situation and God, or God could change you in the midst of those situations. But our job is to be faithful to God and to the call that he has upon your life. You see, neither of those give us permission to, to supersede what God has called us to. Um, trying to, I'm going to fix this on my own. I'm going to go behind my boss's back and, and, and try to like get people on my side to, to realize that he just doesn't know how to lead this place. I mean, come on, I've been here for a month and I know this thing is wrong. <laughs> and, and, and we have these, these ideas and it's like, no, no, let, let, let's be faithful. Now listen, I'm not saying if you have a horrible job, stay in your horrible job. But until you're in that horrible job, until you find your next one, you need to be faithful and say, God, give me a job if, unless you're teaching me something here. So we, that's one freedom that we have in this, this country. We have the option of looking for more jobs and, and finding a better situation. But wherever you're at, you need to be faithful and, and, and true to what God has called you to do and be a testimony and, again, bring people into reconciliation with God. And if you're the worst employee ever, it's like, don't, don't talk about God for a little bit. Let's fix that up, and then, and then let's, let's, let's talk about what, what God has done in our lives. It's easy to breed an environment of gossip or, uh, at work and, or, or wherever it as is, or even in church. Just, you know, it's easy to, to, to do that. Again, not going back to that reconciliation. We, talking with people and talking through what, what, what needs to be. There's avenues that we have to, to talk to our bosses and talk to the people that need to and not just brew this, this, this uh, environment of that's not what God has called us to do, this environment of, of, of opposition and, and dissension and all that. That is not what we're called to do as believers. We're called to, to be testimonies and be light. And this is what God wants us to do. And, and, and we see this here. We see this here that, that David could have used his common sense. Okay? He is not this awesome warrior because he's an idiot. I mean, he is a smart guy and knows how to fight. He knows, probably knows how to read people very well, you know, knows where the enemy's going. He could truly see what situation he is with Saul. And, but he chooses to, to, be, to, to, to go with what God has called him to do and not say, I'm just going to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to take Saul out because I, I could really do this. I mean, the guy is, you know, not, not a very good fighter. I mean, he's only got 1,000. I got 10,000, right? And... But he chooses to, to be faithful to what God has called him to do. That's because our calling to, God, to do God's will should supersede that what we think is best. And third, when in doubt, we need to seek wisdom and shelter in God and in his people. When in doubt, we need to seek wisdom and shelter in God and his people. So, here we find ourselves uh, now in, um, in verse uh, 11. Uh, so, you know, they, uh, Saul just, you know, chucked a, a spear at David, and David's like, okay, I think things have changed here. It's probably time to leave this place. And he, he runs home. I'm sure his wife appreciated that he ran home. But his wife is like, this is probably not the best place to run to because dad kind of knows where I live, so you may want to find another place and uh, lets him jump out the window and, 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 and go and, and escape. Which reminds me of another story where they jump out of a window, right? Uh, with uh, Rahab the prostitute as the, the, the spies go in the land and they're, they're looking for them and they, they're being uh, taken, you know, she says, go, go, and, and, and gives them a way out. 
um, which raises a, a, a question that when you, we, we read about Rahab um, and then, then look forward in Hebrews and see that she is counted as faithful um, for lying. And we see this situation here with, with Mikael uh, having, having them leave, the win- leave out the window. And then what does she do? What does she do? She, um, it's, it, this is like almost from, a, from a, you know, a movie or something. She, she gets crafty and she makes his fake head and puts it on the bed and like, you know, like what, what kids try to do, like to pretend like they're, well, she actually does that. And she gets this idol. I'm not sure what kind of idol it is, if it's like a pagan idol or just an idol. Um, probably not a good one anyways. And then a goat hair pillow. I think it was like the latest phase in uh, the year 2000 BC uh, to have a goat hair pillow. And she uses that as his hair and just says, hey, we'll just say that that's you. And the guys come in. She's like, oh, no, he's sick. I think he's got COVID or something. And, and she's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we won't go. Poor, poor guy. We're not going to kill him while he's sick. That's horrible. Um, and, and they leave. And then the king's like, what are you doing? They're like, well, go back there. Like, bring him in his bed if you have to. But we got to kill this guy. Who cares if he's sick? It's going to be easier now. And uh, they go back and they realize, oh, she tricked us. <laughs> um, it, it almost reads like, like, like a Three Stooges episode or something like that. But um, th- there is some more time involved in this. And when we, when we look at, um, uh, I think it's Psalm 57 50, or 59, it, it, Saul's actually talking about it. And he, he writes a, a psalm about this moment. So what, whatever it is, there is some time because he's got... He's got a moment here to, to write out a whole psalm that later will be recorded in God's Word. And um, as they get here, Saul shows up, and he gets upset. He gets upset with, uh, with Michal for, for, for doing this. Now, remember, last week, Pastor Jesse mentioned about um, that she was going to be a snare for him. Now, I, I have a feeling that this, this might be one of those areas where, where she... Um, is a, a snare. She, she's not a very good liar, right? I mean, she covers for him, and she, she kind of helps him with that, um, which brings me back to the point I, I started, and I walked away from for a second. As we talked about Rahab, it's like, how, how can these ladies, um, or these people in the Bible, uh, lie, and it's a good thing? Like, why, why, are we, why are we recording and celebrating, like, she lied and let them leave? Well, because we know that God's, God says that we, we're not to lie, right? where we're not the bare false witnesses, witness, and, and here she is lying. Um, and she's not the first, and definitely not the last. Uh, we have Rahab that we, I just talked about a little bit. But we also, talk, uh, we also know, uh, if we remember the midwives in, uh, in Egypt, remember that the, the Hebrew ladies, uh, were, they were just multiplying too much, and they sent the midwives to kill the babies uh, as they were being born. And so the midwives are like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kill babies. I mean, those are, why do you think we're midwives? We want to help ladies give birth. And so they gave, they would help them give birth. And then when they would ask him, hey, did you kill the babies? Like, man, them Hebrew ladies, them, they're strong. They give birth and just go back to, to, to working. And, and they kind of lied for the situ- in the situation. We have Rahab. We have Mikhail. What is being done here, first of all, um, it's being described and not prescribed. It's not saying, now go therefore and lie. Um, that's, that's not what's happening. But, but I think the most important thing that we see is, um, at least when we look at these three, I'd have to probably dig a little bit more and capture all of them. But when we see these, these lies that these, uh, in this case, the situation these ladies are doing, 
they're not lying because they're trying to get a raise. And like, you know, they're not, they're not turning in a fake resume to try to land a job that they're not qualified for. Um, they're lying to, to save lives. They're, 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 they're covering for someone else. This is not for them. I mean, their lies is going to get them in trouble, probably even killed or could get them killed. Uh, their lies is for the protection of the life of others, which takes me back to um, the, the Holocaust. I mean, we know Corrie ten Boom, like, you know, there's movies about her and books that she, she wrote and stuff. And at the end of the day, what, what, did, what did her family do? They, they, hid, uh, they hid Jews in their, their clock store that they had. And, and you would say, oh, you know, how, why are we celebrating a liar? It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, she, she saved lives. Um, she put her own life in, in risk to save others. And so I think um, if, if we had to, to, to make, a, uh, make a blanket statement, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to lie, it better be to save someone else's life and not just, you know, because you want to, you know, free fries at McDonald's or something like that. Like, this is, this is some serious stuff that's happening here. They're coming to kill David, um, which is not going to get killed because we, you know, there's a whole lot more Bible left uh, on David. So we get here and we see it. So Saul comes in and says, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? And, and, and how evil of, uh, of, of Saul to think that, that, you know, this wife is going to give up her husband so that you could kill her, kill him? Um, so, so she's like, no, I mean, he, he left, but then look what she is. She's not, in this case, she, she becomes that snare, not, not a very good liar, because what's the excuse that, that she gives? He says, and Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Like, wait, wait, wait. that's, that's the best lie you could come up with. <laughs> he said, if you don't let me go, I'm going to kill you. That's what, that's what David told me. So I had to let him go. It's like, no, just, I don't want you to kill him. How's that? That's why I let him go. Um, so, so here she is in, 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 in doing this. But, but we see that it's that moment. It's this moment where, where, where David gets away. And what does he do? What does he do? He runs to Samuel. He runs to Samuel. Um, and, and, and to be honest, I had like a little Mandela effect here. I, I thought Samuel was dead. I had to like go back a little bit. Oh, no, he just said bye, but he didn't die. Um, that happens much further down. Um, so he, he, runs to, um, he runs to Samuel, and he goes and he tells Samuel everything that, happens, uh, that happened to him. And what we see here is that he goes to his trusted friend. And if, we're, if you're looking, right, if, if we're counting, remember I told you there were four stories of, of, of God uh, protecting David? So if you, if you wrote those down, uh, the first one is David's being protected by Jonathan, right? God, God protects David through, through Jonathan. The next, um, David escapes death by his quick wit, right? That God would allow him to, like, you know, dodge the spear, the third one we see is Michal helps David escape uh, through the window. And now here's the fourth one. Now the fourth one is very interesting. The fourth one is very interesting because right now, so we've seen there's been people that have been helped David. There's just, you know, David has kind of helped escape and, and understanding that God is sovereign. God has allowed these people in these situations for David to be able to escape. But this instant that we're going to go now is we're going to actually see God himself protect David because God has already anointed 
uh, through Samuel, anointed David to be king. And so God, we're going to see God's uh, intervention himself. So we get here now, um, and in this passage, in this part, we see that uh, they, they move, they, they go to, uh, to, to Ramah, right? And he says, uh, now David fled, verse 18, now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him that Saul, all had Saul had done. And he and Samuel went to live in Naoth, and it was told to Saul, behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. So he goes to live there. So that's why I'm saying this, you know, I read rather quickly, but there is time that, that's elapsed here. And so he went there to, to be where Samuel was. Now, where is Samuel? Samuel is with this company of prophets. Okay, what exactly that means, we don't know, but it's a company of prophets. There's a bunch of prophets that they just do like prophet stuff. And, and Samuel's there um, with these guys. Now, this is not the first time we hear of this company of prophets, right? If we go back uh, probably about two, three months ago, uh, when, remember, and I always love to point this out, how Saul can't even find a pack of donkeys in a dusty road, and he's looking for these donkeys, right? And he comes across these guys, these, these uh, prophets, and they start telling Saul, you know, what, what, what's going to happen now? He's going to be the king, and, 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 and all these things are happening. And once he is there, once he is there, um, what do they say? Oh, it says that Saul starts prophesying. Saul starts prophesying at that point. This is uh, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 10, uh, 10, 5. And as, as he's doing this, um, they say, Saul is, 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 is Saul also a prophet or amongst the prophets? So at that point, we see that Saul... He's a nobody. Like, no, nobody really knows who he is. He's just looking for his dad's donkeys. And um, he's, he comes across these prophets, and when they say, is Saul also amongst the prophets? Is Saul also prophesying? That's like, that's a pretty good thing. You know, you're a nobody, and now you're like, you're in the company of prophets. That's, you know, you got a title to yourself. But that's not what's happening here. We'll get to that in a second. But, but what exactly are these prophets, and what is this prophet stuff that's going on? So uh, as, as I studied this whole prophet thing a little bit better, I um, understood that, that the word prophet, in fact, when we, uh, last week, Samuel 18.10, it says that Saul raved in his house. Okay, like he didn't throw a rave party. Uh, he raved in his house. It's literally, he prophesied in his house. He, he went, he was just, you know, and, and what it's talking about is uh, where you are uh, John Woodhouse makes the observation that what is happening in both scenarios is a speaker under the, is under the influence of an outside power. So it's not just that God, you're only a prophet if God speaks through you. It's just any outside power. That was, that was considered prophecy, prof, prophesy. Now we take it as, when we're talking about prophets, we're talking about Isaiah, we're talking about Jeremiah, we're talking about God is speaking through these men. But that's, that's what we seek when we call prophet. It's a, just the general but it's, more, it's, it's, it's actually more broad. Um, it's any. So it says, um, 
another commentary said, this means that they fell into a trance or an ecstatic state, the condition which immobilizes them and makes them incapable of accomplishing their evil intentions. So here they are. So Saul sends his first group of messengers. By messengers, they're you know, messengers of death. Uh, they're going to kill him. Sends his first group of messengers. And as they get to this, this company of prophets, they start prophesying. Like they're just kind of like, you know, in, a, in an ecstasy and something's going on right? And they're just out of their mind and like for, for, forgot what, what they got through or, you know, it's a cool party, whatever it is. They're just out of their mind and, and, and into this event that's going on. So I was like, come on, man. Sends another group. I'm going myself. You want a job done, you got to do it yourself, right? So Saul decides he's just going to go himself. And um, I, I, I love it because it just continues to, to, to show how uh, capable Saul is um, because it says David fled and escaped to Ramah. And then it even says uh, Neoth in Ramah. So it seems like it was common knowledge because the messengers got there fine, right? But nope, not Saul. What did Saul do? Uh, Saul went to the well, the great well that's in Seku, and said, hey, where's Samuel and David? And they're like, oh, he's in Neoth in Ramah. It's like, we had that information already. You had that information. You still can't find your way around your own kingdom. And so they get there, and what happens? Saul arrives, and as he's arriving, he also begins to prophesy this, this just out-of-his-mind situation. And not only is it just out of his mind, what does it say he does? It says that he gets naked, takes off his robe, takes off his clothes, and gets naked for the whole day and stuff. Now, at first, it's like, great, I got to talk about naked Saul prophesying. Thank you, God. Um, this, this is what I got this week. Um, but at least it wasn't Jesse's, uh, Jesse's passage last week. Um, as we see, as we see he's, he's prophesying. Now, the first time they said, is he prophesying? Again, he was a nobody. But now he is a king. He is the king. And he is prophesying. And it says, thus it is said, is Saul also amongst the prophet? Like this clown is also with these guys too? Like what is, what kind of king do we have here? He can't even like figure out his own job description. Just stick to what you're supposed to do. So when it's being said now, it's a negative thing. In the first time we heard that, it was a positive thing. He's like, man, this guy's with a prophet. This guy's good. I was like, this guy's with the prophets? Come on, man. You know what the prophets are. They're weird. They get naked. Um, and so, so he's there last week again, when Jonathan makes an oath with David, what did he do? It says he took off his robe and bowed before him and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to you, bro. We're, we're good. I, I understand that you are God's anointed. God has chosen you for something big. I'm not sure what it is, but, but I'm with you. Now we get to this company of prophets. Saul's out to kill David. He's got nothing good for David. And he shows up, and what does God do? All right, you want to play like that? He gets naked, and he starts worshiping God. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also the interest of other. Have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all name. I think this is what's happening here. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. We know that in Revelation, the Bible says that every knee shall bow on that day. Every knee shall bow. Now, this is more of a Jonathan knee shall bow, like realizing, David, you, you, God has provided you for us. Somehow it's going to be good. As we look towards Revelation, Saul is in that later camp. Every knee shall bow. Saul wasn't there because he loved David. He loved, he wanted to honor and serve God. No, he was there for malicious purpose. But you know what? There will be the day where every knee shall bow. And here we are with Saul disrobing himself, taking off his, his uh, what identifies him as the king, taking off his identity as the king of Israel, bowed before these prophets, doing whatever these prophets were doing, but God is humbling him and showing, you are nobody. I am God. And God's hand is directly protecting David in this situation. I want to encourage you and warn us in this morning. I want to encourage you that many of you think you're fighting our battle, your own battle. Many of us think we are fighting our own battles. You might think you even have some good advocates that are fighting and protecting you. But friends, family, God is in control. We need to seek Him and honor Him and fear Him and know that God is in control. We need to be faithful to God in the midst of difficult situations, in the the midst of difficult circumstances in our lives. We need to be faithful to God and point to God and know that He is good above all things. And there will be that day where we will be face to face. There will be that day where every knee shall bow. And we would do that because we have followed Him and loved Him all our lives. And that is our, my prayer for each and every one of us here, that we would keep our eyes on Him. But let me warn you, you may think that you are on your throne even if it's just the throne of your own life. But like the word says, and at that name every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will come that day. My prayer is, my prayer is that we would follow Christ, that we would decide to serve Him, love Him, and trust in Him today. That when we get that day comes where every knee shall bow, that we would do it because it is just the outpour of our life. It is what we have desired to do our whole life, to be before Him and before the throne and worshiping Him. And may it not be because we are humbled now at this point, because we thought we were in charge and God is showing us, no, 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 I'm in charge, you bow down now. We have, we have the... God's word. We have the gospel. 
where we know that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, where he died on the cross for our sins. It was our sins that took him to the cross and nailed him there. It was his love for us that held him up on the cross. And it is through Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, because he rose three days later, he conquered death, and he offers us this gift of eternal life once we have trusted in him, when we have believed his word and understood that the only thing that we deserve, as Pastor Alejandro uh, prayed, the only thing we are worthy of is, of is wrath. Yet through Jesus Christ, we could come into a relationship with, with God and be reconciled with God as God originally intended when he, in the garden. And so my prayer is that we would trust in Christ today and know that it's only through Jesus can we have this gift of eternal life.